Good morning, Harvest Bible Fellowship and friends and family and so forth. I'm so glad that every one of you can uh, be with us live via the airwaves again this morning and uh, at least to come together. Nick and Becca, thank you for doing that. I Man, I, I love it. I appreciate it so very much. I'm so thankful that uh, you're willing to, to lead us in worship and still bring our family together and coming to the Lord. So Nick, Becca, and your little kiddos, I promise you, Ian and Maddie, I'll throw you up in the air when we can come back meeting get meet together again. And uh miss seeing you guys. I miss giving everybody a hug as they come into the church. And uh, so we're doing almost the fist bump, almost the elbow. So we're kind of keeping our distance. And uh, it's kind of crazy, but that's the world we're living in right now. And I'm thankful that God is keeping us safe and healthy and uh uh, I'm blessed. I really am. And, uh, but I'm glad you're here with us today. And I just, I was thinking about before we go to the Lord in prayer this morning, just there's so many things I'm thankful for. Uh, first of all, salvation. You know, it gives us the reason and the hope that we even come together. You know, I, I love when I saw on Facebook this week, somebody was wearing a t-shirt that says, the church has left the building. And it's so true because the, we think of church as being within these four walls, within this area that we meet in. This is nothing more than a facilitator for the church. It's a building, it's, it's walls, it's a roof, it's, and we're thankful for it. But at the same time, we know that the church is not the building, it's the people, it's the called out ones, the ecclesia. And I'm so thankful that we have a body of believers that knows that, understands that, and we can still come together and meet despite everything that has taken place in the world that we live in. And so uh, let me just say I'm thankful for all of you. I, I miss you like crazy. I miss giving everybody a hug and, and seeing everybody and, and so forth. But I know that uh, this too shall pass. And meanwhile, we're just going to put up with it as long as we have to. But I'm thankful, first of all, for my salvation and the very reason that we have to come together, obviously. Uh, I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful that uh, this has allowed us to be able to spend more time together, even though that creates some hardships sometimes because we're walking over each other where we normally didn't used to. And uh, sorry, I'm in Don's space a little bit. So uh, we're learning to deal with that a little bit. And we're still trying to have quality time, even though, you know, it's amazing when you're with someone all the time, uh, you almost run out of things to talk about, it seems. Because normally you have all day doing your own thing and then you come together in the evening and, well, you already know everything that's taking place. And so it's kind of crazy. But at the same time, I just have to know, let you know, you have to get creative once in a while. And for those of you that know me, you know, there's three things I learned from Johnny Hunt there. Somebody asked Johnny Hunt a long time ago, well, how do you keep your marriage strong? And he says, well, I dialogue daily, I date weekly, and depart quarterly. I heard that a couple years ago, and I said, you know what, I really want to work on this. So we began to dialogue daily, we began to date weekly, and we began to depart quarterly. And we do that, we try to do that uh, regularly. <clears throat> but the, one of the interesting things is, uh, how do you go on your weekly Friday night date if you're quarantined and not supposed to go anywhere? Well, you have to get a little bit creative. So this week, we had date night, we call it coronavirus date night one. And uh, we actually came over to the church because nobody else is here. And we got on one of the big screen TVs in the fellowship hall, and we watched I Still Believe. And uh, it was quiet, it was dark, we were alone, and nobody else was here, and it was our Friday night date night. And uh, we got to watch a good movie, and uh, we cried a little bit, we, uh, we used some Kleenexes, and, uh, 
But, you know, God is still good. Despite everything that's going on, there are some things that we have to do a little bit differently. And, yeah, I know some of you can't wait to get out and go out for a steak. But uh, meanwhile, just be creative and come up with some things and uh, ask God daily for his patience and so forth. And But I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that for my family, for my wife, and for the fact that we still have good health. And, you know, I was even, you know, saying a little bit earlier today, I'm really thankful for, uh, you know, social media. I mean, who would have thought that uh, God would use something so simple for us to be able to come together as Facebook. Um, I know there are a lot of people that oh, I'm not getting on Facebook, but you know, it really has been a tool that God has allowed us to use. You know, going back 15 years ago, uh, you'd have to get high-dollar cameras and sound equipment and have them mounted in different places around your church and Go on live, and yes, there is some quality differences, and you can do a lot more with it, probably. But you know what? For a simple broadcast media, thank God for His Facebook and allowing us to come together via the waves and and be able to really encourage one another. So I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for God allowing us to do that, and uh, you know, Nick and Becca singing, and our be able to come together and pray together and, and have this time together. Um, I, I just want to be able to. Take a few moments this morning. We are going to continue in our study of Second Timothy as we've been going through it, and uh, let me just say that <clears throat> it's awesome. I've been I've been just really enjoying this study of Second Timothy, and if it seems like if it's a little bit repetitive, it really is. The message throughout Second Timothy is really is that we got to get the gospel. We really can't let false teaching inter, intercept our our thoughts and our minds, and we have to stay active and <clears throat> and all these things. So. We're going to get to that in just a moment, but before we do, I just want to take a moment and pray, and uh, and I, I trust that you'll be praying with me as you're in your living rooms, as you're in your chairs and recliners and in your pajamas and whatever else it is that you're doing. Uh, I hope that you'll pray with me and be able to, um, you know, really just go to the Lord's uh, feet and, and, and just put our petitions before Him as we start in the service this morning. <clears throat> so let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just want to say thank you for salvation. We thank you for the hope that we have through you, Lord. We thank you for, Lord, your sacrifice on the cross of Calvary, Lord, that allows us to put our faith and trust in you and to realize, Lord, that you have changed our purpose and our, our, our destiny and all that revolves around knowing you, Lord, and this relationship that we have with you, Lord. We're so thankful for it. We thank you for the fact that we can know, because your word tells us in 1 John 5, these things that I have written unto you, that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And Lord, that we don't have to guess, we don't have to hope, we don't have to think, we don't have to wonder whether or not heaven is ours one day. Uh, Lord, we can know that for certainty, and we're thankful for that, that when we put our faith and our trust in you and you alone, that you do save us, and you save us securely in your arms forever, Lord. And we're so thankful for that. <clears throat> and Lord, we thank you for the opportunity, Lord, to look at your word this morning. But Lord, before we do that, Lord, I just want to lift up everyone in our church family, our friends, our family, those connected to our church family. Lord, I know that there are many of us that would love to be here today, Lord. We, we'd love to come together to fellowship with giving each other the right hand of fellowship, a, a hug and, and so forth. But Lord, we know that in these circumstances that we're facing, Lord, uh, Lord, that's not possible. But Lord, we do know that because of these circumstances, you are working to get the gospel out despite the circumstances. Lord, as I look at how many people log on to Sunday school this morning to watch Sunday school, Lord, almost double the number that would normally come to a class. So, Lord, we know that you're allowing impact in that area. 
as I think about how many people logged on to watch our live stream last week, more people than had they been here at church. So, Lord, I'm thankful that you're using uh, the media, social media, to get the gospel out and to get the word of uh, the word of God's word out. So, continue to do that, Lord. Today, I pray that your Holy Spirit will work in our hearts, draw us closer to you, Lord. Uh, Lord, as we pray often, Lord, these several th- these several thoughts, Lord, give conviction where conviction is needed. Lord, encouragement where encouragement is needed, Lord. I know that there are people on both sides of that spectrum, Lord. They need to be convicted uh, because, Lord, they're living in sin. And, Lord, I pray that you call them to conviction through your Holy Spirit. But, Lord, those that are walking in fellowship with you, uh, Lord, bring them encouragement and discouragement, you know, from the discouragement, Lord. And know that our labor is not in vain in the Lord, and we shall reap if we faint not. So, Lord, encourage those that need encouragement. Uh, Lord, I pray that for a little while this morning, uh, Lord, I know that, one of the issues with watching from home, Lord, is there are oftentimes more distractions. But, Lord, I pray that you keep our minds focused and clear on your word. I ask, God, that you would just, uh, Lord, allow us to focus on what you have for us this morning as we look at uh, this, continuing the thought of being a vessel of honor. And I ask, God, that you would just, uh, Lord, wherever the gospel is going out this morning, uh, Lord, I pray that you would bless it. Lord, may your Holy Spirit go before us, go with us, come behind us, Lord, to accomplish your perfect will with the pro- proclamation of your word. Uh, Lord, I know that already today, Lord, in the middle of the night here in America, there are other churches that have already begun to meet around the globe. On the other side of the world, uh, Lord, we know that in India and other parts of the world, uh, Pakistan, Lord, they've already began to preach and teach. And Lord, they're doing it, some of them in the open, some of them in, in secrecy. And Lord, some of them are meeting underneath trees, and some of them are meeting in apartments, and some are, some are meeting in basements, and some are meeting uh, by the lake, and some of them are meeting out in the middle of cornfield. Lord, people are meeting everywhere in this uh, 24-hour period, Lord, and, and around the world, the Word of God is being proclaimed. And I pray, God, that wherever it is being proclaimed, Lord, that your blessing would be upon it, Lord, and that, that it would accomplish your intended purposes. Lord, be with those that... Uh, Lord, are sick and ill. Lord, we know that this coronavirus is a, is it's an unseen killer. Lord, we don't want to panic. We don't want to be alarmed. But Lord, we want to be realist, realistic towards what it can do. And I ask God for safety. And I ask for for those who are working on cures and vaccinations, Lord, that you give them wisdom beyond their comprehension, Lord. That you just supernaturally give them ability to come up with a uh, Lord vaccinations, Lord, that could curb this uh, virus that is uh, taking so many lives already. But, Lord, keep your family safe, Lord, we pray. And, uh, Lord, may it accomplish your intended purposes, Lord, in our lives, Lord, as we trust you to do what only you can do. So, Lord, we ask that you would meet with us this day. I ask, God, that you would speak to our hearts. And, Lord, that you would just honestly just, Lord, start in my heart first, Lord, and teach me the things that I'm proclaiming this morning, Lord, that it may be true in my life. And we'll praise you for it. For it's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Amen. So if you would this morning, take your Bibles and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. <coughs> Excuse me, I woke up with some allergies this morning, so I got a little bit of a cough there, but I promise you it's not the coronavirus cough. Uh, <laughs> I'm healthy, I'm fine, I'm doing great by God's grace. Just a little bit of phlegm in my throat this morning from uh, how I slept or something, but I'm good. 2 Timothy chapter 2, I want to begin reading verse 22. And then down through verse 26 this morning. So verse 22 says, Flee from youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. But reject foolish and ignorant disputes because you know that they breed quarrels. 
The Lord's servant must not quarrel, but must be gentle to everyone able to teach and patient. Instructing his opponents with gentleness, perhaps God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth. And verse 26, then they may come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. In our last message, in our study of 2 Timothy, we looked at chapter 2, verses 20 and 21. And just by review, verse 20 says, Now in a large house there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also those of wood and clay, and some for honorable use and some for dishonorable. So if anyone purifies himself from anything dishonorable, he will be a special instrument set apart, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. So as we looked at those two verses last week, we really looked at the uh, concept of being a vessel of honor. Uh, One who desires to be a vessel of honor will purify himself from anything and everything that is dishonorable and will become a special instrument prepared for every good work. And so we talked about how in a house there are all kinds of vessels. There are vessels of wood, clay, uh, plastic, as we have a lot of Tupperware in our houses that hold, uh, you know, different types of food and so forth. And there are some that are really nice, like some fine crystal or silver platters. And then there are some that you really just don't care about and you stick them underneath a cover where nobody sees them. But when they're prominent, they're up where everybody can see them. Uh, in fact, a, a couple years ago, I went down to Corning Museum of Glass and I was watching one of the glass blowers do their, um, do their craft and, uh, at the very end, you know how they kind of flash the lights around and they pick one person in the audience to give what they made to. And they were making this really nice glass pitcher uh, that you pour water into. And I thought it was really cool. And I don't know, so I was like, I'm jumping up, going, hey, you know, going like this. And, and uh, once you know, the light landed on me and I got that pitcher. And for the longest time, I was pretty cool. I thought it was pretty cool. And I thought I was just really proud of this picture that I got from Corning Museum of Glass. And for a while there, you know, I didn't want to use it because I didn't want to break it because it was really cool. I'm sure it was really expensive. But, you know, we put it where people could see it. Yeah, I won that. I was pretty proud of it. You know, and then after a little while, it's kind of like set aside. You don't really care about it anymore. It's just a cool story now. But, you know, there are things that we have a lot of respect for, a lot of uh, appreciation for. And we put them in places that are prominent. And uh, because of their value and their usefulness and their honor that we establish. And remember, we, we've talked in the past about how honor is something that we, uh, we give to something or someone. It means that we've attributed a value to something. And I talk about my gold pen that I don't have with me today. But I say, if you want to buy this pen, it's going to cost you $50. Well, you say, well, Pastor, I can get it for $7 at, at, at Walmart, right? But if you want this one, it's going to cost you 50 because I've attributed value to it. And that's what it means to honor. It means to give a value to. And so God wants us to be a vessel of honor, something that's worth something. You know, I'm not sure how many of you will remember the illustration I used a couple weeks ago to really help us understand this process or this point. But I'll quickly share it with with you one more time. So let's pretend for a moment that you went to a nice sit-down restaurant. And uh, as you get older, what that really means is that you don't want to go to any restaurant that has plastic utensils. So, <laughs> so you're going to a nicer restaurant and, uh, you know, you're excited to be there. You're with somebody you love. You're, maybe it's your family. Maybe it's your spouse, but you, you just having this time together and you're excited about it. And, uh, and, you know, I know for some of you, you're really, you're looking forward to when this coronavirus quarantine is over so you can get back to going out to eat once in a while. And, but, uh, you know, the waitress comes, takes your order, and you pleasantly engage in conversation as you await for your food. 
You know, as a waiter delivers the food to your table, you reach towards the silverware that you know is wrapped in the cloth that is to your side. And uh, you can't wait to dig into the food. It smells good. It looks good. I mean, you, you're, 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 your glands are already starting to savor what you know you're going to taste. And all of a sudden, as you grab that fork, you notice that there's something unique about the fork. There's some dried on food from it, on it still from whenever it went to the back, it got cleaned, but it didn't get cleaned very well. And you're looking at it and you're deciding in your mind, do I really want to use this fork that's got this dried on, ucky looking junk on it? Now here's the question. Will that fork work? Yes. Will that fork, even though it's dirty, will it stab the food or lift up the food that's on your plate and bring it to your mouth and allow you to chew it? Of course it will. But here's the question. Wouldn't you rather use a clean fork? Wouldn't you rather use one that doesn't have some dried on food from some previous person that used it that didn't get cleaned very well in the kitchen? That's what God is saying when he says, I want to make you a vessel of honor. It's not that the fork is unusable. You can still use a dirty fork. But do you want to? The idea is, I want to be clean and holy and righteous before my God. And I think this is God's preference for us. He prefers a clean vessel as opposed to an unclean vessel for his service. So as we look in this next text of Scripture, Paul further explains what characteristics an honorable vessel possesses. An honorable vessel, an honorable instrument, an honorable man of God should possess. So notice once again in these verses 23 through 26, and we'll go ahead and start right away in verse 22. It says, flee from youthful passions. And so we know that in this process, there are at least six things that he draws out as far as that are actions for us to implement into our lives, especially if we want to be an honorable vessel, a clean vessel, a vessel of honor, a vessel fit for the master's use. So the first thing is that we'll do is that we will flee youthful passions. And there's a couple things about these first two actions that we're going to look at that are interesting for all of us to apply as children of God. If we know Jesus Christ as our Savior, these are things that we should understand. First of all, that word flee is a present active imperative. And uh, you say, well, I don't really know much about the Greek language, so that makes two of us. Uh, but there are some key things that we can understand. And one of the things we know about this verse is that it's an action verb. It means to flee. It means there's something for you, the reader, to do. Something that Paul encouraged Timothy to understand. And so this present active imperative really means do it right now. Anything that would come into our life that would cause us to not be a vessel of honor. Anything that would come into our life that would distract us from being all that God would have for us to be. We're to flee that right now. And so we're not to wait, we're not to put it off, we're not to say, hey, I'll get to that later. We're to do it right now. And so we understand not, not only is it something that we're to do right now, it tells us what we're to do. We're to flee youthful passions. And what that means is to shun or avoid. And here's the interesting thing that I didn't understand until my study this week. Is that it really means to seek safety. So it's not just the idea of running from that which will harm us in our walk with God. It's not just getting away from the sinfulness, but it's running to safety. So it is a getting away from one thing and a going to another thing. And so that's very important that we understand that. In fact, God's Word tells us in the book of Titus chapter 2, verse 12, it says this, instructing us to deny godliness 
and worldly lusts and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in this present age. So there is a getting away from anything that would discourage our walk and our fellowship and our blessings from God, and to turn our back away from that sinfulness and go to something that we know is safe for us. I don't know of a better verse that helps us understand it than this verse 12 of Titus chapter 2. Instructing us to deny godliness. That's the getting away. And then... And worldly lust, and then to live in a sensible, righteous way and godly way in the present age. So there is a getting away from one and a running to another. And then in Titus chapter 3, verse 3, it says, For we too were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by various passions and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and detesting one another. But notice the word there. It says, For we too were once. In other words, that's past tense, amen? That's something that should be in our background. So when we come to the place where we know Jesus Christ is our Savior, where we come to the place where we are wanting to walk in fellowship with Him, we too should say there's a difference in our life. We no longer live as we used to live before Christ came in. There is a change now. And uh, God's Word talks about this in several different places, but it tells us to flee youthful passions. If you would take your Bibles and turn over to Romans chapter 6, just for a moment, Romans chapter 6, and he further explains this, this change that ought to take place in our lives as a child of God. In Romans chapter 6, verse 12, he says this, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. In other words, there is something that we need to be actively working on on a regular basis so that we can walk in fellowship and in holiness and righteousness before our God. In Romans chapter 13 and verse 14, it says this, uh, Says actually, verse 13 says, Let us walk with decency as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual impurity and promiscuity, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and don't make plans to gratify the desires of the flesh. So once again, it's a reminder that we are to get rid of some things that we know are dishonorable to God and only put those things into our life that we know that will help us walk in, 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 in uh, righteousness and holiness before God. And then one more verse I want to look at, or one more book I want to look at, in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 24, he says this, Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So he says, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. But he says there, verse 4, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. You know, so there has to be that time where we come to a place in our walk with Jesus Christ that we don't want to live for the flesh. He says, flee youthful passions. Get rid of those things. So Galatians 5.16 is a great reminder. Galatians 5.24 is a great reminder. And then one more in James chapter 1 and verse 15. Just over to the right there. A few pages right before 1 Peter. Uh, James chapter 1 and verse 15. He reminds us of this. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. You say, what's the importance of that? It's really, the importance is this. When we give into sinful desires, when we give into youthful passions, when we give into those things that distract our walk with God and make us unholy, unrighteous, those are the things that even for a while they may seem like they're okay. But verse 15 says, Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. It will cause us to walk down a path that God does not want us to walk on. 
And so we have to be careful. We need to guard against it. It says, and when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. We don't want to die. We don't want to be separated from God. And we don't want to forfeit the blessings of walking in fellowship with God, right? So we have to flee youthful passions. Um, the second thing that we see in our text here in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 22, it says, and pursue righteousness. Just like flee is a present active imperative, something we're to do right now, so also is the word pursue. Pursue is also a present active imperative. In other words, we're to do it right now. So just as the idea of fleeing something that is sinful and actually running to something that is safe, the same thing is with the pursue. We're running to that which we know is good and right and uh, that blesses, blesses us and God as we walk in that fellowship. So it's the idea of not only just running to it, but it's an idea that we're in a race. And I would like to suggest it would be more like a marathon than a sprint. A sprint is over in a few seconds, maybe a minute. Maybe it's a, a 50-yard dash, a 100-yard dash, a 400-yard dash. But then it's just over. A marathon is something that lasts. And our lifetime is something that's lasts. And for our entire life, until God calls us home, we're to be in this race. And we're to run in the race with patience. And we're running to that which is safe. And he actually tells us in his word exactly what it is that we are to pursue. So in verse 22, it says, Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. So there are four things that he says, these are things that will, will bless my heart if you will pursue them. So first of all, righteousness, a condition that is acceptable to God. When we are walking in obedience and fellowship and walking in, in righteousness, that blesses the heart of God. And he says, that's what I want you to pursue. I want you to pursue righteousness. And then he says, I want you to pursue faith. It's the conviction of truth as it relates to your relationship with God. And so it's, uh, it's not just having faith that God will do something, but it's my faith as, as it were in, in a part of speech. It's, uh, it's like a noun. It's something that we have. It's something that we possess. And what it is, it's a, con- it's, it's a time of uh, conviction of truth as it relates to our relationship with God. I have faith. I have this walk with God. And he said, we're to pursue that. We're to pursue that, make sure that walk, that, that, that relationship is healthy. And we know what we stand for, and we're not, we're not backing down, we're not stepping away from it. We are, we are actively pursuing this faith. And then he says, love. This is agape love. It's God's love. And, and folks, let me just say this. Apart from a relationship with God, you can't possess this kind of love. In my flesh, I am selfish. In my flesh, I am wicked. I am sinful. Paul often says of, of sinners of whom I am chief, I would, I would argue that point. Uh, not because I'm a heinous murderer, not because I've, I'm a rapist, not because I've molested anybody. I just know that all sin is despicable. I know that whether it's a little white lie or exaggeration or whether it's having a wrong attitude or responding wrong to a circumstance, whatever sin it is, all sin breaks the heart of God and, and forfeits our blessing and our fellowship with Him when we don't deal with it. And so all kinds of sin... And when I think about that in my own life, I feel like I'm, a, I'm the worst of them. Paul might say, he's the chiefest. No, I am. The bottom line is I have a hard time going from minute to minute without having a wrong thought sometimes and getting irritated with somebody. In my, and my flesh is just wicked. And as God's word says, the heart is deceitfully wicked and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, I feel like that is so true. The older I get, the more I realize that I struggle with holiness. It's my desire to walk in righteousness and holiness, but I struggle with that. But the reality is I can't love as I ought to love and I can't pursue agape love unless I have the love of God in me to start with. 
Because my sinful flesh will prevail. It will take over. And it will do it for you as well. And then he says, in verse 22, he says, Pursue the righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So we're to do this together. And I find that it's easier to do something in group than it is to do it by myself at times. In and of myself, I'm weak. But when I got a group of people, it's much easier. I remember as a teenager growing up, uh, the days of going to the gym and, and lifting weights. You know, when everybody's there, it's easy to lift weights. I mean, everybody wants to, it's kind of this unspoken competition. Uh, we're not publicly saying, I lift more than you. We just kind of show it to everybody. and We kind of just live it out. You know, when there's a group of people there, you're kind of motivated to keep pumping the weights. But let me just tell you, when college was over, when dating was done, as far as trying to find your life's mate, the gym stopped. You can have all the New Year's resolutions you want, but the weightlifting quit. Why? Because I'm by myself. I don't have time. And if I don't have a group of guys around me pushing me, I don't lift weights like I should. You know, the bottom line is we can do things together better than we can often do them by ourselves. And that's why he says in verse 22, Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. In other words, surround yourself with people who are wanting to please God. Surround yourself with people who know and are living for the Lord Jesus Christ as their primary objective in life. And you know what? When you are walking with other people who want to walk with God, it will encourage you to do the same. Then number three, he gives us another action that we must implement into our lives if we are going to become a vessel of honor. And we see this in verse 23. He says, reject. So we're to flee, we're to pursue, and now number three, we're to reject. And the word reject here, it says, well, verse 23 says, reject foolish and ignorant disputes, because you know they breed quarrels. For, so first of all, the word reject means to decline, to shun, to avoid. So we're to get away from it, we're to shun it, we're to avoid it. And then he tells us exactly what it is we're to decline, to shun, to avoid. Foolish and ignorant disputes. We spent a little bit of time with this on our last week's message, uh, so we'll not spend a lot of time on that this morning, but we know what that means. We know what a good argument is. Some people live for a good argument. Well, that shouldn't be us in the, as a child of God. We should want to pursue peace and so forth. But he says a little phrase here that really stood out, stood out to me. Uh, the Lord's servant, verse 24. Must not quarrel. So verse 23 says, But reject foolish and ignorant disputes, because you know they breed quarrels. So when you're in an argumentative spirit, you know that nothing but anger is going to prevail, and a big argument is going to ensue. So here's what he said, The Lord's servant must not quarrel. Verse 24. So here's an interesting word about the word servant. The word servant in this particular passage means doulos. It's the word translated slave. If we view ourselves as a slave of Jesus Christ, what might be different in our lives? I think if we would view ourselves as a servant of Jesus Christ in the sense of being a slave to Jesus Christ, then we have to take on the definition of a slave, which at least a couple of things have to really stand out. Number one, a slave does not have a will of his own. Think about that. A slave does not have a will of his own. And number two, a slave 
is under the control of their master. He's under the control of his master. So if I'm in an argument, what am I trying to do? I'm trying to impose my will, my thought, my attitude, my, my belief, my opinions, my preference, my convictions on someone else. That's not the definition of being a slave. See, if I'm truly a slave of Jesus Christ, I have no opinion. I have no preference. I have no thought. It is all subjected to Jesus Christ as my master, the one who should be controlling me. So the really, it comes down to the question, do I consider myself a slave? Because he says, no servant, no doulos, no slave, hmm, must quarrel. That's convicting to me as a, as a pastor, as a person, as a child of God. Because man, I know I like to argue, because I, I like to think that most of the time I'm right. I'm right. My opinion is right. My thought is right. I know better than you. That's not the attitude of a slave. That's convicting to me because I know that's something I need to work on every day in my life. My flesh, if not controlled by the Spirit, will prevail. And the only way for my flesh to not prevail is to consider myself a slave to Jesus Christ. Putting myself underneath His control voluntarily, willingly, openly, and allowing Him to work through me. So, number four, we see that number one, we're to flee youthful passions. We're number two, to pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with others who are doing the same. Number three, we're to reject foolish and ignorant disputes. Number four, we're to not quarrel as if in a battle causing strife and contention. Wow, a true servant of God is not trying to win arguments. He's trying to win souls. Let me say that again. A true servant of God is not trying to win arguments. He's trying to win souls. Why? Because he knows what's important and his opinion is not that. Uh, number five. Actually, before I go on there, let me look at a couple of verses here. Second Corinthians, um, just back a few pages. You can keep your finger there in Second Timothy, but Second Corinthians chapter seven, um, in verse five, it says this. In fact, when we came into Macedonia, we had no rest. Instead, we were troubled in every way, conflicts on the outside, fears within, man. I don't know about you, but if I were in Paul's sandals right there in that moment, I'd probably want to argue the fact that I deserve better than this. I'd want to argue the fact that I don't deserve what I'm facing. I surrender my life to God. Why is he allowing me to go through these things? But that's not his attitude. Look at verse 6, 2 Corinthians chapter 7. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the arrival of Titus. And not only by his arrival, but also by the comfort he received from you. He told us about your deep longing for sorrow and your zeal for me, so that I received even more. Over and over he said, this fellowship that we talked about, and living life and pursuing uh, righteousness and holiness and, and, and all these things together with others who are pursuing the same things of God, that encourages us and comforts one another. And so, and then he says, by Titus' arrival... And if you go just one book past our text here in Titus chapter 3 and verse uh, 9, he says this, But avoid foolish debates, genealogies, quarrels, disputes about the law, because they are unprofitable and worthless. You know, Paul and Timothy began to realize, or Titus began to realize that it's not about winning an argument. And if our goal in this world that we live in is to win an argument, you will never win. 
You may win an argument. You may win a confrontation. But you won't win their heart for the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's not about winning. It's about directing our focus to Jesus Christ and how he changes our lives. So don't quarrel. And then number five, there's a fifth action. B. He says very clearly, B. And he says uh, three things that were to be. And once again, this is an action verb. So it's something that we are to do. Not just for Timothy, but for all of us as God's children. So look at the next verse here in verse uh, number 24. It says, The Lord's servant must not quarrel, but must be gentle to everyone, able to teach, and patient. And so it gives us three things. We're to be gentle. And that word means to be kind. In other words, you're not to be the bull in the china closet. You're not to push away because you're the authority or you're in charge. You're large and in charge. It's the idea of we're going to be kind one to another. You know, it doesn't cost you anything to be kind. Um, This world has seen such the opposite as so many times. You know, adversity and struggle and trial really reveal how kind we are in these circumstances. Um, when we think of what's going on right now in our world, the coronavirus, and we don't even, I'm so sick of it. Uh, I, I'm annoyed by it, as I said last week. Um, I'm trusting God to get us through it, but it's really annoying, right? But, but some of the actions have been wonderful to watch because of, because of it, but some of them are just downright scary. When someone will push you out of the way to get a pack of hamburger. When someone will push you out of the way to grab toilet paper out of your hand. I'm hearing stories like this of of things that happen like this in our own church amongst our own body. You know, it brings out the worst in some people. Um, But to be kind, um, to share what you've got, to show love. It says in, in God's word that by this shall all men know that you are my disciples by our what? Our rudeness? By the fact that you're right? Because you got your way? Because you made your point? No. He said, by this will all men know that you're my disciples, by your love one for another. What does our love look like right now in this time of struggle, time of trial, time of disappointment, time of frustration? I know mine's kind of been, eh, I hate to say it, but there's been times where I'm just annoyed by everything that's going on. I want to do something, I can't do it. And my attitude is just not, I just get these little attitude checks about 37 times a day because I want to get out and about and do things and so forth. But to be gentle, to be kind. Because everyone, everything that you're facing, all the struggle, all the frustration, all the angst, because of everything that's taking place with, the, with this virus that's about, guess what? Everyone else is facing it too. They're facing it too. Um, I can't remember who was telling me last night. Uh, maybe it was Mike, maybe it was someone else. How somebody was jumping in line and, and someone got too close to this young lady in line and she flipped out. And I uh, thought the person behind her was getting too close. Uh, as, oh, I know it was Derek Claypool. And uh, they're flipping out because you're too close to me and what are you doing? You know, you're breathing towards me. And she was just really serious about it. And so he said, uh, I backed up about 12 feet from behind her in the line to pay for my goods at the grocery store. But he said, later that night, it bothered me that I wonder if this was a single lady trying to take care of her kids by herself. Maybe she didn't have a husband. And maybe she had just been told that she lost her job because everybody's being quarantined. And all of a sudden, now the frustration, though it does not justify it, it helps you understand it. But kindness 
and gentleness goes a long way. I wonder if we don't need to be kind and gentle in the day that we're living. And then he says able to teach. That word able to teach means skillful to teach. I know that as a teacher, as a preacher, as a pastor, I learn far more than probably in my study than probably what I convey in a message or in a time of teaching. It's always the case. When you study, you learn more than your pupil, more than your student. But he says to be able to teach. In order for us to be able to teach, we have to be studying ourselves. Are we skillful in our studying so that we can be skillful in our teaching? And then number three, just moving along, being patient. And this has the idea of being patient when wronged. That is one of the hardest things to do. He says, verse 24, The Lord's servant must not quarrel, but must be gentle to everyone, able to teach, and patient. Oh my goodness, did he have to stick that word in there, that patient word? Oh, I'm just telling you, in this context, it has the idea of being patient when wronged. My flesh, once again, I'm just speaking out of honesty. When I feel like somebody has wronged me, I want to prove my point even more. I didn't do that. I didn't say that. That's not how it happened. That's not what, no, that's not right. You heard it wrong. I want to be able to defend myself. I want to be able to correct myself. And I need you to understand that what you heard is not right. And what I'm telling you is the right, right, the, the correct thing that happened. And he says, patient. I don't have to defend myself. God knows my heart. He knows the truth. And you know what? For many of us, we'll have to lay our head down on our pillow at night and know that we're walking in obedience. And so it's not about being right, in this case, when wronged. It's about responding correct to the injustice. Being patient in those circumstances. So, just by review, he says to flee youthful passions, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, reject foolish and ignorant disputes, don't quarrel as if in a battle causing strife and contention, be gentle, able to teach, and patient, and then number six, instruct. And we see this in verse 25. It says, instructing his opponents with gentleness. Um, I, I think one of the greatest examples of this was when I was a teenager growing up. Um, I wrestled from kindergarten through 12th grade, uh, maybe a little bit in college as a, a club that wasn't really a, a sanctioned team, but we messed around on the mat a little bit. But I, I wrestled primarily kindergarten through 12th grade. Uh, I wrestled a lot. But probably the greatest illustration I can think of of instructing, as it says in verse 5, his opponents with gentleness was my coach. Uh, Doug Hayeswinkle. Doug Hayeswinkle, uh, I always thought he was a monster. Uh, he, he probably weighed a buck 18, soaking wet. Uh, but when he took his shirt off, I felt like he was the Incredible Hulk miniaturized. I mean, he was a beast. But here's the thing. There are many of us in that wrestling room, in the, on that mat, on that team, that were three times the size of Doug Hayeswinkle. But I'm telling you, Doug could throw all of us around like we were nothing. Doug was strong. But here's what he did. He used his knowledge to instruct gently. He would put us into a move and teach us a move that we were to then use on our opponents. But he did it in such a way that it did not hurt us, though he could have. 
He could have really put us in a guillotine and really made us, oh, stop, stop, stop. But he never did that. He instructed us by putting us into the move that he was teaching us, but he did it with gentleness. Why? So that we could do well in our matches. So that we could become victorious when the opponents we faced were in front of us. He did it with gentleness. So the idea here is to instruct is to correct. When we did something wrong, he would do it correctly so that we would learn from it. And then he would uh, do it in a way that would help us be able to be molded into something better than what we were before. So the instruction was done with gentleness. So here's what happens. When we flee youthful passions, when we pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, when we reject foolish and ignorant disputes, when we don't quarrel, when we are gentle, able to teach, and patient, when we instruct in a way that causes one to be corrected and one to learn and to be molded, here's what happens. He tells us in the verse, Perhaps God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth. God will grant repentance. In other words, repentance is a change of mind. In other words, I'm going one direction, I'm confronted with the truth that this direction is wrong, and I turn back and go the other way. That means I've learned, I've been taught, I've been molded, and now I'm living for the glory of God. He says, perhaps God will grant repentance. You know, I'm so thankful that God is patient with us, that he is long-suffering, that he uh, exercises forbearance, In other words, he doesn't immediately judge us and condemn us and punish us immediately when we sin. Oh, thank God he's patient with us. He's long-suffering with us. He is uh, very much allowing us to understand that what we're doing is wrong so that we can correct and make it right for his glory. Um, And then he says, not only perhaps God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth, and this is, then they may come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Um, the idea of coming to the senses is the idea of a drunken man beginning to sober up. In other words, there is something that has caused him to lose his mind. His mind has been distorted. He believes something that wasn't true. He had a false view of something. He had a wrong opinion. Uh, What he believed was not correct. It's a drunken state, so to speak. And now he's beginning to sober up from that. He's becoming to the knowledge of the truth. So in our text here it says, then they may come to their senses. In other words, the people that we're working with, we become a vessel of honor. And other people, as they become to their senses, they become a vessel of honor for the Lord's use. There's several thoughts that people have written about the idea of what this means. Some, as it says, escape the, the snare of the devil who made them captive to his will. I, I don't believe that the devil can make us captive to his will. There's only one devil. He may have numerous demons, but there's only one. And he can't be everywhere at once. And so the, I, the excuse of the devil made me do it, nah, it doesn't really hold a lot of weight for a lot of us. We do it because our flesh wants to and we give in to our flesh when, it, when it's something wrong. Some have the idea it's taken captive by God's servant to do God's will. But I really believe it's, it's escaping the snare of the devil to do God's will. You know, he says it's very clear here. 
escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. The devil doesn't have authority over me. Uh, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. First Corinthians 6.19 also says, What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have got in you, are not your own? We belong to God. His Holy Spirit lives within us as His children. Amen? So we have the opportunity to overcome. Greater is He that is in you than He is in the world. And God's Word says we can overcome the world. We can overcome the devil. I don't have to be subject. But as they have this concept of coming to their senses, as they have the idea of sobering up, once again, they're heading towards the idea of becoming a vessel of honor. God wants us to become a vessel of honor. I don't know about you, but that's my desire. I want to become what God wants me to become. I want to be what God wants me to be. Oh, don't get me wrong. My flesh is strong. Talk to my family. Oh, goodness, I'm embarrassed by that. Talk to my wife sometimes. Talk to my kids. There's times I'm not filled with the Spirit. I wish I didn't have to say that. But if you're honest, you struggle with it too. And daily it's a reminder that we need God. We need His Holy Spirit to control us, to fill us, to, to guide us, direct us. If not, our flesh will take over. And we can't let that happen. I want to be a vessel of honor fit for God's service. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. You know, every week as we gather at church building, um, we have an opportunity to respond to what God's shared with us from his word. And although we're meeting through the airwaves this morning, we're on Facebook Live, I still want to challenge you in your living rooms, in your recliners, in your couch, in your sofa, in your, wherever you're at, the kitchen table, wherever you're at, to do what we do every week as we gather here, to respond to what God has asked you to respond to. I don't know whether or not you're a vessel of honor, but you do, and God does. And if there are some things that need to change in your life, like maybe you haven't been fleeing youthful passions, maybe you haven't been pursuing righteousness, faith, love, and peace, maybe you have not been rejecting foolish and ignorant disputes, maybe you like a good argument, you live for those, Maybe you've been quarreling. Maybe you haven't been gentle, apt to teach, and patient. And maybe you haven't been instructing to correct to those that are around you. Maybe there are some of these actions that you need to implement or get rid of in your life. This is an opportunity for all of us to just take a moment and pray, to respond to what the Holy Spirit may be asking you to do or to be in your life. So let's, let's pray together. And then I'll close with a couple of announcements. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for this study of 2 Timothy 2, Lord. It's been so awesome, Lord, just to, Lord, be reminded of those things that Paul was teaching Timothy as he was mentoring, as he was coaching, as he was discipling him to, Lord, take over the role, to pass the baton, so to speak, of, of those things that he'd been doing in ministry for so many years. And now as he's sitting in this jail in Rome, He's still giving of his life to impact others. So, Lord, that message is still impacting us today. And so, Lord, I pray that for each one who heard the word this morning, Lord, those of us who are underneath the Holy Spirit's teaching, Lord God, would you help us to Lord, do all these things that Timothy was exhorted to do, to flee youthful passions. God, it's so easy to be distracted by things that don't matter. The lust of flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. It's so easy to be distracted by those things. Lord, help us to flee. Lord, help us to pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Because those are the things that are valuable to you, Lord, in becoming a vessel of honor. 
Lord, help us to reject foolish and ignorant disputes. God, help every one of us, Lord, not to live for an argument. Help us not to live to get, be right. Lord, help us not to quarrel just to prove a point that we may be right and someone else may be wrong. Lord God, put down our flesh, Lord, so we wouldn't, so it wouldn't, uh, Lord, take over us and control us. Help us be filled with the Spirit, Lord. Lord, help us to be gentle, able to teach, and Lord, patient when wronged. Lord, help us to have the mind of Christ in these things. And Lord, help us to instruct in the sense that we're trying to help those around us to know truth, to be corrected in a gentle fashion, Lord. So Lord, I pray that you be with each one who's watched this morning. Lord, may we be responsive to your Spirit's leading. And Lord, may you be glorified in all that is said and done. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I just want to challenge you. Um, as I close this uh, live stream out, you have an opportunity to continue to say, Lord, work in me. You know, change my heart, change my life. Continually, Lord, point those things out into my life that need to change so that I can become more like you. But uh, don't let, even though the service is ending, don't let the Holy Spirit's work end. Keep it going. And then there's a share button at the bottom of the live stream. Um, that's how, through Facebook's algorithms, the message gets out. The more people that share it, so when you share it, your friends see it, and then their friends see it, and then their friends see it. It's really a, an exponential principle of multiplication. Share it. Get the message out. If it's been a blessing and encouragement to you, hit that share button and get it out there so people can be impacted by the Word of God um, for days on end and for months and years to come. It's amazing how long these uh, messages stay out there in Facebook land. So get, a, get the message out there and let God use you to proclaim the gospel through your share button. And then also, as I said every week, we get the opportunity to worship through our music. We get to worship through the word. And then we also get to worship through our giving. And uh, let me just say thank you to those of you who have continued to worship in that way. Let me encourage you to worship that way. Uh, there is a link on our church website. And also Matt Dunn will have a link on our podcast as well, our live stream, so that you can do that. And uh, I know that God will continue to honor and bless and take care of the needs of this ministry. But I want to encourage you to be faithful and obedient to all that God has called you to do as well as a part of this local assembly. So worship the Lord in our music, which was wonderful. Thank you, Nick and Becca and family. Uh, we get to worship through the word. Thank you, God, that you gave us your word. And then we get to worship with our giving as well. And let me just encourage you to do that this week. Take care and have a wonderful, wonderful week. If you need anything... Uh, message me, and I'll be glad to help you out any way that I can. Lord bless you.